Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, shalom, brothers and sisters. I bring you warm greetings from Kin. Um, as um, Pastor Janice has already mentioned, we are a parachurch organization that partners with churches to help them include people with special needs. And I have to say, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Actually, I've heard so many things about the City Church over the years from friends who worship here. And so I'm so glad to finally be among your midst. I've been asked to speak about hospitality today, which I think is awesome because it sounds like, Tiana, you really embody hospitality in your life as well. And I also have to say a warm thank you to the pastors because as Pastor Janice mentioned, we have, I think, only met once beforehand, but the pastors have showed such warm hospitality to us even during that period of time. So thank you so much as well for the invitation to be preaching to you today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts for his word. Dear God, we thank you so much for your great and generous heart. We know that before we even had a thought about hospitality, you were the one who first gave us hospitality through the precious work of Jesus on the cross. Therefore, as we come now to your word, we ask that you help our hearts listen carefully so that our hearts can beat in time with yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Recently, uh, a brother in Christ passed away. Brother Wong Hui Chu was a tissue seller. He was also a wheelchair user, often homeless, and in fact, he was stateless. He had no citizenship because of a complicated family background. And recently, he passed on. However, unlike many people in his situation, his passing did not go unnoticed. For years ago, he had found Christ on the streets, through Christians who went out to the streets to share the gospel. And so the Mandarin congregation at St. Andrew's Cathedral had in fact been silently supporting Hui Chu financially. And so even when he passed on, he did not do so alone. In fact, a Christian couple had taken Hui Chu into their home so that he could spend his final moments among friends. And even after his passing, even though none of his Christian friends had prior experience planning a funeral, they all scrambled into action. In fact, he had a full three-day wake, and Hui Chu's friends even took turns to keep vigil at the wake, ministering to the guests. And after the wake, a full funeral with a sea burial was conducted. All the expenses for the funeral was paid for by his friends. And when other Christians heard of it, they also donated generously as well. In fact, so much was given that there was left over. 
And so the remainder was given to a friend who had provided refuge to Hui Chu and his mother over the years. And the gift was done to honour the last wishes of Hui Chu, who had always yearned to give something back to this friend who had showed him hospitality. So my brothers and sisters, I share this story with you because I was asked to speak on hospitality today. And the first Bible text that came to my mind as I prayed over it was the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And I asked myself what might be the equivalent today of what the Good Samaritan did. And it was Hui Chu's story that came to mind. In fact, my brief retelling has only skimmed the surface of the lavish hospitality that was shown. And I'd like to invite you to read a fuller account of the story in an article published in Sword and Light. Just Google it, it's easy to find. Interestingly, as heartwarming as the article on Sword and Light was, there is a quote inside that article by one of the Christians that haunts me. She said this, I have a desperate longing for the church to really strengthen their hands and their feet to go. What we have done is not unique and it shouldn't be rare. But the truth is, it is rare, isn't it? That's why it made the newspapers. Such generous hospitality is rare. And I wonder why it is so. After all, we know that Christians should be hospitable. It's all over in Scripture. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, we are told that hospitality is the hallmark of Christian leaders. But of course, hospitality is not just for our leaders because we see also in 1 Peter 4, 9 that we are told to show hospitality to one another, to fellow Christians, without grumbling. And then in Hebrews 13.2, it goes even further when Christians are instructed to not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So we know from Scripture that hospitality must be the hallmark of God's people. Because it's all over Scripture, I suspect the reason why generous hospitality is rare today is not because of a lack of knowledge. We know. We know that we are supposed to be hospitable. Instead, I suggest that perhaps it has to do with our mindsets, the way we think about hospitality. Perhaps we have wrong conceptions about hospitality, and as a result, our hospitality goes a little bit wayward. And in fact, I think this is what the parable of the Good Samaritan will help us address. The parable will help us to revisit our assumptions and our preconceptions about what hospitality is. Now, the parable is told in a conversation that Jesus has with a lawyer. Now, just to be clear, this is not the kind of lawyer we have today. This is a religious expert in Old Testament law. So these lawyers are the kind of people that will hang out with the scribes and the Pharisees, that, that, that group. I want us to listen in to their conversation in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And this is what scripture writes. And behold, a lawyer stood up 
to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I thought that was a very biblical answer. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And so Jesus then says to the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then with the parable complete, Jesus then asks the lawyer one more question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let me start to think through the text with you by drawing your attention to two big questions in the story. Now, the first big question is asked by the lawyer. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And the text tells us that the lawyer asked his questions, not because of some pure motive, but because he was desiring to justify himself. Now, this is a little bit of a strange phrase, so what, what does it mean? And I find the New Living Translation helpfully translates it as the man wanted to justify his actions. In other words, the lawyer wanted to show that he was already doing the right thing. He was expecting Jesus to name people that the lawyer already cares for. And in this way, the lawyer can then declare back to Jesus, well, I already love these people that you name, that you say are my neighbors. And so the lawyer can show that he was doing the right thing. Now, let's think about it. What, what does the lawyer's question reveal about his view of hospitality? Now, I think it shows us that his hospitality to the lawyer is a reactive thing, a reactive thing. To him, there is a group of people that you show hospitality to. And so when they are around, you react to them by being hospitable. 
Now, such a reactive mindset is something that we might recognize in ourselves. Because to many of us, hospitality is a word that we associate with our homes, isn't it? So when guests come to our homes, we react with hospitality. So we tidy up the place, the tea and coffee gets brewed, the fruit gets sliced nicely and then complemented with some quick quick. But still, it is a reactive thing. We react with hospitality when guests come to our home. But you see, this contrasts with the second big question asked in the story. At the end of the parable, Jesus asks the lawyer instead, who proved to be a neighbor? Who proved to be a neighbor? You see, for Jesus, neighborliness is not defined by being part of a group, but by one's behavior. It is not a fixed thing. It is not a function of our social groups or our geographical location. But rather to Jesus, neighborliness and hospitality are a matter of the orientation of our hearts towards others. Indeed, for Jesus, hospitality is not reactive, but proactive. So while we might ask, who is my neighbor? The question that Jesus teaches us to ask is, who can I be a neighbor to? You see, the story of Hui Chu's funeral is amazing, but it did not start with people reacting to his death. The funeral was possible because Christians had not waited in their homes or their churches to react with hospitality to a visitor, but rather they proactively went out to the streets to bring hospitality to the streets. And it was through that proactive hospitality that Hui Chu was even brought to Christ, that he became friends with other Christians and he even gave the gift of friendship to other Christians. Proactive hospitality allowed Hui Chu to be part of an authentic Christian community. So yes, the funeral was beautiful, but it was founded and grounded on an earlier proactive hospitality. And so my friends, we, we might ask ourselves a similar question then. We know that we should be hospitable, but what kind of hospitality do we practice? A proactive one or a reactive one? Are we waiting for people to come into our churches so that we can be hospitable to them? Or are we going out into the highways and hedges to bring people in to the banquet of God? As you heard just now, I serve with kin. And the nature of hospitality is actually something that kin often has to discuss with church leaders. So for example, recently in one discussion, a church leader told me this. If there were deaf people in my church, I would have sign language interpretation during the service. Now that sounds very reasonable. But interestingly, after this church leader said that, he immediately, he immediately caught himself. He realized the problem with what he had said. And so he laughed and he said to me, Aya, if we don't have sign language interpretation in the first place, why would deaf people even want to come? He realized that the kind of hospitality that he needed to show was proactive, not reactive. 
And likewise, other churches have also started to realize that there are two ways of thinking about special needs ministries. So you can think about it reactively. When we have children with special needs in our midst, we will organize special needs Sunday school. Or you can think about it proactively. Let's organize activities that are so welcoming for families with special needs that even non-Christians will want to come. This is exactly what Jesus Club Singapore did. Now, Jesus Club Singapore didn't wait for people with special needs to come. Instead, they asked themselves, where are the greatest needs in Singapore for people with disabilities? And they realized that it was with adults, adults with intellectual disabilities. And so they established a friendship-based ministry that reaches out to such adults. And because of their warm, proactive friendship, even non-Christian families bring their children to join in the activities. In fact, last week I heard from another church. Uh, this family told us that they had joined the church because of the special needs ministry. And when we asked them, how do you know about the church's special needs ministry? They actually told us, oh, it was a person from another religion that heard about it and referred us to them. And that's how they joined the church. And so in, hospital, uh, in summary, Christians, the first way we can grow in our hospitality is simply to change the orientation of our hospitality from reactive to proactive, from passive to vigorous to lively and dynamic. And when we do so, the sister in Christ who said just now, you know her phrase, then we can really echo that because the church will really strengthen our hands and our feet to go. Now, I want to point out that this shift in hospitality from reactive to proactive is not the only lesson on hospitality that the parable of the Good Samaritan has to teach us. You know, I, I love Jesus. <laughs> and I think he's a masterful, masterful storyteller. He wrote the parable with, he, he spoke the parable with so much depth. And so when we look at the parable again, we remember that the lawyer has asked the question, who is my neighbor, right? Who is my neighbor? And so as Jesus tells his parable, the lawyer is thinking through the parable from that perspective. He's asking the question, who is my neighbor? And so when Jesus describes a priest coming onto the scene, the lawyer will be asking myself, himself, is this priest whom Jesus will say is my neighbor? He likes this guy. This is the kind of guy he hangs out with. Likewise, when the Levite comes around, he's also asking himself the question, is this who Jesus will say is my neighbor. And then finally, Jesus speaks about a Samaritan. The lawyer will also be thinking the same question, but this time he will be fidgeting, uncomfortable, because as you know, Samaritans were not exactly a welcomed group, a well-accepted group by the Jews. The lawyer will be a bit worried, thinking, is this the guy that Jesus is going to tell me to reach out to a Samaritan. But this is why Jesus is amazing. Because the sting in the tail is that Jesus doesn't do any of that. In fact, Jesus rips the rug from under his feet by asking the lawyer a question he did not expect. Who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
And so while the lawyer was thinking about the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan from his perspective and asking, who is my neighbor? Jesus then turns the whole thing upside down by challenging the lawyer to change his perspective entirely. Put yourself in the shoes of the injured man, Jesus says. Exercise some imagination and see yourself as the injured man. It is then that you will know what neighbor means. The lawyer, to his credit, gets what Jesus is saying, which is why he answers, the one who showed him mercy. Notice what the lawyer doesn't say. He doesn't say, the Samaritan. He doesn't say that because he has successfully put himself into the shoes of the injured man. Because to the injured man, who cares about whether the neighbor is a priest or a Levite or a Samaritan? That's what the lawyer cared about. What the Samaritan cares about is that the neighbor is the one who shows him mercy. And so the lawyer got the point because he successfully empathized. Don't forget, the reason why Jesus told his parable is because he was responding to the lawyer's earlier quotation of Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what is the heart of Leviticus 19.18? It is empathy. Empathy. What Leviticus is saying is that our love for others is shaped empathetically. Put yourself in their shoes. Treat them how you yourself will want to be treated. And so our ability to show hospitality is shaped by our ability to empathize. Indeed, I would like to say that empathy is at the heart of hospitality. One of my blind friends, Peter, likes to tell the story of why he stayed at his church, Princep Street Presbyterian Church. Soon after Peter started worshipping at the church, he looked for a ministry to serve in. Excellent church member. And the Befrienders team, the Befrienders team, the welcome team, found out. And so they asked him whether he would like to join them. And of course, he was taken aback. He said, hey, hello, I'm blind. How can I welcome newcomers who are walking in? But then the Befrienders team said, don't worry, brother, we know that's why we want to ask you to follow up on our visitors by giving them a call. Peter told me that he was so moved by that simple gesture. Why? Because he knew that they were being sensitive to his disability, but at the same time, they also understood his genuine desire to serve. He told us that that was the moment that he truly felt welcomed at his church. By the way, you might be able to see um, the logo here. Uh, Peter works at Prison Fellowship Singapore. He tells us that his blindness is what enables him to reach out to prisoners because it disarms them. Indeed, since all of us can exercise hospitality, because all of us can exercise hospitality because all of us can exercise empathy. For example, when a child with special needs makes noise in a service, you know what's the standard response, right? You give him the death glare. 
But if we put ourselves in the parents' shoes, what would we do? The moment we do that, we, we, we will figure out, oh yeah, they already know, they're already embarrassed. Right? We know also. So what should we do instead? What do we want them to do instead? To be honest, do they have much of a choice? They only have two choices, no? Either they come or they don't come. Do you want them not to come for service? So what can we do instead, right? What we can do instead is simply to give them what we ourselves would want. A smile. A smile that says to them, I want you here. And that's good enough. Some years ago, we interviewed a sister in Christ for a little book that we were writing. And she told us about why her church was so important to her. And she said, and I quote, I take my daughter who has special needs to church every Sunday. She sings, laughs, and talks because she can hear the voices of those around her. In church, they all know her. Despite the noise she makes, they all say, never mind, it's all right. And my pastor always encourages me to bring my daughter to the service. Due to the understanding everyone shows, we can confidently attend the regular service. This is acceptance. We have a community bond where the church understands and accepts that my daughter is special and that she will make some noise. Close quote. You see, for this sister, what made a difference for her is not some kind of specialized disability ministry that the church is offering that will provide her the best in therapy. What made the difference was that every member of the congregation chose to exercise empathy towards them to welcome them, and to accept them. And it's because of their empathetic hospitality that the church can worship together in harmony even when her daughter makes some noise. So that's the second thing that we need, an empathetic hospitality. And so my friends, thus far we have seen two important mindset changes that we need to make regarding hospitality. Hospitality should be proactive and hospitality should be empathetic. Now there is one more shift that I'd like to point out from the parable. And to see this third point, I'd like us to zoom out from the minutiae of the parable and to consider the overall storyline of Luke chapter 25 to 37. And when we do that, we see the following. We see a self-righteous lawyer trying to put Jesus in a difficult position. He tries to do so by asking a tricky question. And yet when Jesus answers in a gentle and knowledgeable way, the arrogant lawyer does not respond positively. Instead, he continues to act in pride and carries on his interrogation of Jesus. And still again, Jesus does not respond harshly. But rather, he tells a parable to help the lawyer reframe his perspective, so that the lawyer can draw closer to God rather than drift away. And thankfully, the haughty lawyer does get the point in the end. When one looks at the overall shape of this story, when we ask the question, 
who proved to be a neighbor? Who is the one who showed mercy? We realize a simple yet profound truth. It is Jesus himself. The messenger lives out the message in his life. And this is perhaps the most important lesson to learn about hospitality. For the temptation in hospitality is to focus on ourselves. How can I give hospitality? How can my church give hospitality? But in the Christian worldview, we know that hospitality does not ultimately come from us. Yes, hospitality will require us to be proactive and empathetic, but hospitality is not ultimately grounded in us. Rather, hospitality is divine. It comes from God. I do not think it's a coincidence that Charmaine, one of the Christians who supported Hui Chu's funeral, pointed out that the funeral was so out of this world that it looks like heaven. Because when you're trying to describe the best of hospitality, the one person that we know of that is always hospitable, always welcoming, is God himself. Indeed, as we look upon Jesus nailed on the cross, we see that his outstretched arms are not just arms crucified, but arms outstretched in welcome. Divine hospitality is what drives our hospitality. We can show hospitality because we have already experienced hospitality from God in Christ Jesus. And because we have experienced hospitality of the grandest kind, we can empathize with the marginalized, we can proactively reach out to the other, or as the Apostle John puts it beautifully, we love because he first loved us. Now, I am very allergic to Christianese, and I hope you don't hear this as some kind of pious talk. You know, everything, the answer is always Jesus. Because I, I think understanding hospitality as being divine hits at the very heart of our cultural obstacles to hospitality. Ask yourself this. For so many of us, hospitality is born out of obligation, of responsibility. We have to show hospitality to someone else. So it's always so, it feels so troublesome, so leche. You know. But divine hospitality nurtures a different kind of heart in ourselves. For when we see that it is God that first welcomed us, that's when our hearts catch fire. Not with tedious obligation or onerous responsibility, but with simple joy and thankfulness. It delights us to show hospitality. Because when we do so, we know that when we do so, we are walking in God's footsteps. And so when we soothe the weary, feed the hungry and lift up the poor, our religion is no longer perfunctory, no longer artificial. It feels real. And it feels real because we are communing in that very moment with the divine heart. 
our hearts are beating in time with God's during hospitality. And so our faith comes alive through these works of hospitality. But you know the wonderful news is it does not end there. Because no one can outgive God. And the surprise of divine hospitality is that as we practice hospitality, we receive far more hospitality from God in return. And I'd like to illustrate this to you by sharing with you one last story about people with special needs. So some years ago, I noticed in church that there was a sister in Christ with an intellectual disability. And I noticed that no one was talking to her after service. And so I thought to myself, this cannot be. Someone should show her hospitality. And so after the service ended, I went up to speak to her. And she showed me a notebook where she had written down all these notes from the sermon. Oh, wonderful thing where people show you notes from a sermon. But then she said this to us. My pen has run out of ink. But when I double-checked, you can see the ink in the pen, right? When I double-checked, I noticed it wasn't that the pen had run out of ink. It was that she had fine motor control problems. And so she, in order to write, she pressed down too hard, and so the pen essentially broke. But because I had a spare pen, I took it out and I gave it to her. And that was the extent of our little talk. It wasn't very deep or anything. But you know what? I think she appreciated the simple gesture and the friendship. Because every Sunday after that, she would come up to me after the service and talk to me about the sermon, show me her notes, and then she would often tell me that her pen had run out of ink. And so I would give her another one. And in fact, it turned out that I very much looked forward to meeting her after the service. And so I started to specifically bring pens to church so that I could give them to her. Now, if you ask yourself, what's the cost of that hospitality? It's not much. It's a little time and a little pen. But just in case any of you are tempted to think that I'm some kind of super pen-giving saint, that's not the point of the story at all. <laughs> because the reality is that my sister gave me far more than I ever gave to her. There was one Sunday where I just delivered a sermon at church, and I knew in my heart that it was a lousy sermon. And as any pastor knows, <laughs> when you have delivered a sermon that cannot make it, it's not a good feeling. So what you want to do is you want to dig a hole and jump in. But my church is also the kind where you have to stand at the door and then shake everyone's hand as you're walking out. So as I was shaking people's hands, trying to smile, but actually just want to hide somewhere, I see her at the corner of my eye, waiting to talk to me. And I was thinking to myself, there she goes again, waiting, wanting a pen. It wasn't a very hospitable thought. And finally, when everyone left, she came up to me. But you know what? This time she didn't ask for a pen. Instead, she said this. Brother, I always love it when you preach. Look, 
I took down some notes. And when I looked at the notes, it was exactly the points I wanted to say to the congregation. I was so down at that point of time. I needed someone to speak into my life. And God has a sense of humor and a sense of wisdom. It was just at that moment that he brought her into my life. And that was the moment that I realized that I needed her far more than she needed me. And I think God knew that because that's why he sent her at that moment. That, my friends, is the surprise of divine hospitality. When we think we are showing hospitality, God still upgives us. Yet at the same time, God still invites us to be hospitable because he wants us to walk alongside him to get to know his heart. When we realize this, we will understand that hospitality is not some sort of chore or troublesome obligation. But rather, hospitality is an invitation to touch the divine. It gives us a chance to commune with Jesus, to think his thoughts after him, and to follow in his footsteps. So hospitality leads us to the cross. When we realize this, I believe that the events at Brother Hui Chu's funeral will no longer be rare in our lives. It will no longer be a headline story on salt and light, but it will be our daily bread instead. Because we will know the joy of hospitality and we will engage in it knowing that as we do so, God engages with us. For indeed, when a hurting and broken world cried out, who is my neighbor? The one who proved to be a neighbor was our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who showed us mercy. For he is our good Samaritan. Let's pray. Before I close this in prayer, I'd like to invite you to spend a little bit of time just to respond to God's word. Today we have heard from God himself, from his word, that he calls us to a proactive hospitality, an empathetic hospitality, and ultimately he calls us to himself through a divine hospitality. I'd like to just give you a, a little bit of time in the quiet to respond to that. Father, we thank you for who you are. At the start of this sermon, we prayed that you will help our hearts beat in time with yours. Because your heart is the hospitable heart.
And so now, having heard your word, we ask for your spirit to help us to be a hospitable people. But we know that hospitality is not easy, Lord. It's not a walk in the park. Hospitality can hurt. It can cost us. Because, Lord, we know when we look upon the cross, we know that it hurt you. And that is why we ask for your Spirit to empower us. Alone, we are weak and frail, but with you, all things are possible. So help us in this, we pray, O Spirit of God. Amen. Thank you.